0: If you have your Bibles, grab them. Psalm 23 is where we're going to camp out this morning, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is super familiar to us, I think primarily because in every movie you ever watch and there's a funeral, they just read Psalm 23. Y'all hear that high-pitched squeal? <laughs> Young year. Oh, it stopped, whew, because that was going to be crazy. Uh, So I don't know why it is in every movie they they read that at funerals, but they do. Try not to block my TV here. All right. Uh, So, but that's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm 23. As we continue word for word and zooming in on the scriptures, teaching you both how to read and study them. And mining them for their riches. In 2005, in Istanbul, Turkey, there were some shepherds watching over their flocks during the day. And there was about 1,500 sheep here in this flock that they were watching over, and uh, they decided they wanted to take a break for breakfast, and so they left the sheep out in the field, and they went inside this little cabin and, and ate breakfast, and it wasn't too long when they realized that it was probably a pretty bad idea to leave the sheep unattended, because one of those sheep, one of the 1,500, kind of wandered off a little bit and got a little too close to the edge of a cliff and fell over. Okay, well, one sheep down, that's, you know, 1,499 left, probably pretty good. Except for all the other sheep got pretty curious what the other sheep was doing down there. And so they followed him right over the cliff edge until all 1,500 sheep fell down the cliff. And uh, 450 of them died because the 450 created a giant pillow for the catch the other ones so that they didn't die. But they all went over the cliff. You see, sheep without a shepherd are not likely to survive. Almost every domesticated animal, if you had it in your home or whatever, and then decided to release it into the wild, would live, We could make it on their own. You take your dog, your cat, a horse, a bird, whatever animal you, you have, and if, even if it's domesticated and you release it into the wild, it will still survive. Now your dog might go into a depression because it misses you, right? But it would survive. Now your cat, if you let it go, it would say, freedom! And they'd be gone. And you'd never see that thing again. But if you went to a farm and you released the sheep into the wild, it would die. You set a sheep free, and unlike the cat who says freedom, the sheep says, but who's going to feed me? Who's going to give me water? If you were to put a sheep in a place where it had everything it needed to survive. You put it, take a sheep and put it in this haven where there's green pastures and a water source and there are no predators and it has everything that it could ever want or need, the sheep would simply wander off away from paradise and just end up wherever, and it would die. And this is the animal, a sheep, that the Bible uses over and over and over again to describe us. You see, we need, like sheep, we need more than just a signpost saying, go that way because life is over there. Don't go that way because death is over there. We need more than that, right, because we have that, right? The Bible says, do this, don't do that. And we're like, okay, I'm going to do that anyway, and I'm going to not do the thing I'm supposed to do. We go in the opposite direction, right? And so we need more than a sign. We need a protector, We need someone who can deal with our worst enemies and our worst faults, can save us from ourselves and save us from external forces. We need someone who will fight on our behalf. We need a provider. We need someone who can take care of us, who can make sure we have what we need when we need it. We need a shepherd. And without a shepherd, we will surely perish. But with a shepherd, we can thrive. Let's look at Psalm Psalm 23 together and see what the Lord would have for us this morning. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the things that you need to know about the Psalms is one that they're songs, right? And often they are written in what's, what is called a chiastic structure. All right, and so sometimes when you read the Psalms, you'll have kind of this idea that's like A, B, C, B, A. And so you have the same truth at the top and the bottom, the same truth here and here, and then one truth in the middle. And so it kind of has that chiastic structure, and so we kind of have that sort of idea here. And so, for example, at the beginning you have the Lord, at the end you have the Lord, Right, and then kind of you go down, you kind of have his provision, and then you kind of go into a little further in protection. And so uh, we're going to skip around a little bit so that we're not repeating the same ideas. And so we're going to kind of start on the a- external kind of and move in a little bit for the sake of time. Um, here is, let me give you real quick the big idea of this psalm. Uh, kind of as a whole, what I think the, the big takeaway is. It's this. Those whom... Jesus shepherds will be led to the place where all God's promises are realized, all needs are met, all fears are gone, our purpose is realized, and we are wholly restored. So those people, so not everyone, but those people to whom Jesus is their shepherd will be led to a place where all God's promises are realized, all needs are met, all fears are gone, our purpose realized, and we are holy. That is completely restored. This psalm is meant to be a comfort. It is meant to show you really a flashback of Eden, of the Garden of Eden. It is a picture of this pristine garden where no one is in want for anything, where no one is afraid of danger, where there is shalom or peace and in, in the presence of our good, kind, merciful shepherd. We have everything you need. That is the picture the psalmist is painting for us. And so what I'm going to show you this morning is really five things the shepherd does for us from this text. And like a good Baptist preacher, I have alliterated them. They're all peace. You're welcome. Number one, the provision, see, P, of the shepherd meets all our needs. The provision of the shepherd meets all of our needs. So Let's look at it, verse one. The Lord. Stop right there. Who is this? Who is this Lord? Now, one of the things you've got to understand when you you read the Bible, sometimes when you read the word Lord there, it'll be in all caps. Some Bibles do this, some don't. Mine uh, did not. It's lowercase. But if it's in all caps, it means it's not the word Adonai, which is the general term for Lord. It means it is the word Yahweh, which is God's very special, specific name. And this word here is Yahweh. This isn't just General God, or there's a different word in Hebrew for that. This isn't just general, hey, this Lord. This is Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? He is the one who in the burning bush told Moses his name. was I am that I am. You can't put a box on me. You can't define me by one simple thing. I simply am and I am everything that you need when you need it. All right? so there's no box that you put him in. He, is, he simply is. And we understand that to be Yahweh. Often Yahweh is understood, this personal name of God carries the meaning, the God who is always faithful to keep his covenant promise. That is who he's talking about when he says to the Lord here. This is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. That's who he's talking about, who is unchanging. Unchanging. This God who has kept his promises by parting an ocean so that and, and delivering Israel from slavery. This God who has provided food from heaven and water from a rock. This God who has always been faithful. This Yahweh is not just our God. He is not just our king. He is our shepherd. So, yeah, so David, right in here, wants to make this point, that this great, big, covenant-keeping, special God who parts the oceans isn't just some deity off in the sky. He is a shepherd who is leading us. A shepherd, as David would know because he was a shepherd, is the one who has, who is always with the sheep. He's always out there in the field with the sheep. And th- now, and so he, he's calls him the shepherd, and now he wants to give a description of the types of things shepherds do for their sheep. And so the first thing we get, we have the Lord is my shepherd, and so because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The word want, when you, when you look it up in the original language, really carries the idea of deprived. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be deprived of anything. I shall not be deprived or lacking anything that I need. I'm not going to be wanting for anything. Because Yahweh is my shepherd, because he's out in the field with me, because he's with me wherever I go, I'm not going to be wanting or deprived of anything that I need. I'm not going to be lacking because because the shepherd is making sure I have all that I need. And he goes on to continue to explain that. He says, I'm not going to be in want because my shepherd makes me lie down, where? In green pastures. I'm not going to be one because he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep eat grass, right? And so where does he take them? He takes them where they can be provided, where there is green grass, where there are green pastures. Now one of the other things you need to know about sheep, they are directionless. (laughs) Hey, like I said, you can have the, the perfect field over here for them to eat and they'll go, huh, and walk this way off a cliff right? They are directionless. They will run away from provision. But the shepherd makes them go toward the place where they're going to be provided for, where they're going to be able to eat. And he makes them lie down. We're going to talk about more of that in a minute. But there's a strong leading that he is guiding them. He is shepherding them, right? He's got a big, big rod and staff and he's making them go this way don't go toward the cliff go to where you will be provided for and then not only that but he then leads right he's shepherd he's leading them beside the still waters it's interesting sheep are afraid of running water <laughs> if it's moving they're like oh gosh it's going to get me and so a sheep won't drink unless the water is still unless it's not moving Now, the shepherd knows this about the sheep. And because the shepherd knows this about his sheep, he takes them to the right place to be refreshed to drink. Now, there is another point to be made here about the shepherd's knowledge of his sheep. Like, he knows them. He is not a rookie who is out here in the field flying by the seat of his pants trying to figure out why these stupid sheep need so much help. He's not out here trying to figure out why are they running away from the grass and why won't they drink from the water? He knows them. And he knows how they are. and He knows how they act. And he knows what they're afraid of. He knows their anxieties and their fears and their worries. And so he takes them to the water that isn't moving, to the still waters, so that they can drink. Now that should be an encouragement to us because we too have a shepherd who knows us. We have a shepherd who knows us us he's with us he knows our needs he knows our fears he knows our worries he knows our dysfunction and he knows precisely what you need when you need it and will lead us to it to provide for us now we're going to skip down toward the end like i said there's this chiastic structure so we're going to here's kind of the whole thing again and what else does he say so up here we've got the we've got the green pastures we've got the still waters when we come down, we see he is preparing a table before me. And he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. Again, we see the shepherd feeding and providing for his sheep. Now, the head with oil, this idea, in the original language, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. When we look it up, it is the, the, the literal translation is, you make my head fat with oil. And the idea is that you are—it is lavish. There is plenty. Right? You're getting fat on it, and you're—and so there's there's plenty there. So not only do you have a table to eat on, you've got plenty. You got all this, uh, and your cup is overflowing. We understand that phrase, right? Like I've got so much in my cup that it's overflowing. I've got abundance. I've got all that I need. You've got more than enough. The shepherd has provided for you. You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we get so anxious in life, right? We get so anxious and stressed out as we think about the future that sometimes we can literally get sick to our stomach. We can can obsessively worry that it makes our chest tight with stress, right? Because we're worried about money or we're worried about paying that next bill or we're wondering how we're going to handle this situation that's coming up. So what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? So what do we do when those places of stress and anxiety and worry and fear and those troubles that we're worried about for tomorrow come? When those things come and we're afraid we're not going to have enough, how do we know? What do we do? Two quick things. One, we remember the promises of God, both in passages like this, where God has promised to be a shepherd who provides for us. But also throughout the New Testament, like you have the, the Lord's Prayer, right? We pray for our daily bread. Jesus tells us that if the sparrows, if God feeds the sparrows and, 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 and every, all the animals, how much more are we going to feed you? We remember these promises and we cling to them, knowing that God has said he will provide for us, and if he said he'll do it, he'll do it. But two, we remember his past faithfulness. The Israelites, remember, they were always questioning God, fearing God, that God was going to fail to provide for them, not looking back and remembering that when they were in the desert and they were thirsty, God made a water, like a river, come out of a rock in the middle of the desert. And when they were hungry, he made bread come up out of the ground from heaven. And when they complained and they wanted meat, he made quail fall out of the sky. When they needed him, he provided. He was faithful in the past. And so, surely, he'll be faithful in the future. Why would he provide for us one day and not the next? In my family, when someone is stressed about money or someone is stressed about the ability to have enough for the future, our gentle reminder is this we've never missed a bill, we've never missed a meal. And even if we no longer have money tomorrow, we have a family, we have friends. We have a church family who will take care of us. God is faithful and he will always provide. And if we don't have enough for tomorrow, God will raise someone up to make sure we have it. And God has always been faithful to provide for us. Whether that was through, the, through a job or through a family member's support or a friend or a church, no matter how hard things have gotten for our family at different times, God has always provided a way, always taken care of us. So because when we look back, we can see that, we have every reason to believe that he'll continue to do it, right? We have every reason to believe, man, God has done these things in our past. He's done some incredible things. He's been faithfully taking care of us. We have every reason to believe he'll continue to do that. He's been faithful and he will be faithful. So again, the first thing we see the shepherd doing is providing for all of our physical needs. Two. Two. The protection of the shepherd removes all of our fears. The protection of the shepherd removes all of our fears. Now, remember something about sheep? They have virtually, not virtually, they have no defensive mechanism whatsoever. There are three defensive mechanisms that any animal might have. They are fight, flight, or posture. Well, a sheep can't fight. It has no claws. It doesn't have sharp teeth. And... It doesn't have a tail it can hit you with. Like It, it ain't fighting you, right? It's just going to bump into you, right? Can't fight. It can't run away. It can't flight because sheep are slower than any predator that would want to come after it. So running isn't really helpful. That's why if you know about fainting goats, you put a fainting goat in with the sheep. And so when the wolf comes, it gets scared and goes, and it falls on the ground and seizes on the ground so that the wolf can come eat the fainting goat and the sheep can get away because sheep can't run away. Or it could, an animal could posture, right? Dogs bark, cat, cats hiss, hair stands up on their back. Animals make themselves big. They growl and they get scary. But what's a sheep going to do? Bleh. Some big old wolf comes up. <laughs> I'm not scared of you sheep. They are completely and utterly defenseless. And they need a shepherd to protect them. So let's look at it. <clears throat> Notice what we, we read a second ago. He says, he makes me lie down, He makes me lie down, the shepherd makes them lie down, meaning the sheep have nothing to be worried about, they don't need to be ready to run away, or get to safety, they can lay down and rest, and the shepherd's trying to communicate to them, you're safe, I've got you, nothing will get you, you can lay down, there is no danger you need to be on the lookout for, I've got you, you can lay down and rest, you don't need to be worried, But how often do we not rest? How often do our minds not rest, our bodies not rest, but we stay in a posture of stress and worry because of some future problem or some future unknown? Did that pop up on there? Who's calling me? How often do we stress forgetting to trust in the shepherd's ability to get us through? I bet I can turn on do not disturb and that won't happen. Bam. Don't disturb me. Can't turn my Wi-Fi off. So we need to rest, trusting that the shepherd's got us. Now, notice this next part. So he makes us lie down. so Because we're safe, we can lie down. But then, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. One thing I want you to notice is that the subject of the verb has changed. At the beginning, it was, it was he. Right? It's what God is doing, he, he, he. But now it's changed to I. So where he, David was talking about what God was doing, now he's transitioned to talk about how I feel, how I respond because of what God has done as my shepherd. This is how I can feel. So when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil. That's how I feel because of what God is doing. Now what is this valley of the shadow of death? It is communicating a picture of, of, a, of a valley, right? You got a big valley and on each side you got a big hill or a big cliff. And you've got to walk through the valley. And what what's probably going to happen in this day and age was that there are Bad guys, there are uh, bandits who are up on top of the cliff sides who are ready to pounce and attack and steal from uh, unsuspecting travelers who are going to go through the valley. They've got the high ground. All right, remember Star Wars, episode three? Obi-Wan Kenobi says, don't do it, Annie. I've got the high ground. You're not going to beat me. You know what I'm talking about? May the force be with you. Okay. And so what he's saying is, look, even when you're going through the place where you know trouble is coming, Even when you're going through the valley where you know there is probably danger just around the corner. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear evil. You don't have to fear. And so this valley of the shadow of death is meant to communicate extreme danger and uncertainty. Just like you and I are sometimes afraid of the future. Afraid of the unknown. Afraid of getting sick. Afraid of what might or could happen. And sometimes that fear paralyzes us, right? We can't move forward. We can't do anything because we're paralyzed by fear or anxiety or stress, and it cripples us. But David knows something when he writes this that we often forget. See, David knows this because he has walked through battles. He has walked through uh, difficulties. He has been on the run from King Saul and his armies. He's been in dangerous situations again and again and again, and yet God the Lord, his shepherd, has always protected him. And David, who was a shepherd, knows that a shepherd has tools to protect him, particularly your rod and your staff. These shepherd's tools really do three things. One, they discipline. Right? When a sheep is getting ready to walk off a cliff, you can hit it on the head with a rod. You can smack it. You can whoop it saying don't do that and so he associates pain with doing this thing and okay I'm not going to walk on the cliff again right and so the, the 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 shepherd hurts the sheep with just enough pain to sh- keep it from hurting itself don't we do this as parents and doesn't God do this as he shepherds us don't we as parents cause pain to our children to keep them from doing things that'll hurt them as parents, we might administer pain through a spanking or grounding or taking a phone away. Probably hurts the most. And all that pain, the pain of not being able to have my phone right here all the time, the pain of that is meant to communicate, don't do this other thing because it's more painful than the pain I'm giving you. It's discipline discipline that saves us, that protects us. God, in the same way, disciplines those he loves to keep us from hurting ourselves. And so sometimes God causes things to happen in our life to teach us a lesson to keep us from making dumb decisions. Second, these tools are meant to rescue us. This staff has a, has a hook on the end, right? It's got a, got a, a hook. And, and when a sheep gets in trouble and it gets stuck in a hole or it's stuck in a ditch or something, you stick it down in there around its neck and you pull it out and he rescues the sheep. David is showing us that God has his own set of tools of rescue, that when we get ourselves into trouble, when we are in the grips of danger, even when it's our fault, we have the kind of patient shepherd who knows how to rescue us. And I was going to show you a video, but I I don't have time, but many of you have probably seen this video of this sheep that is stuck in this hole in the ground, face first. It's just got its legs up in the air. And the the shepherd comes and he, he, you know, pulls him out and the sheep's like, yeah, free. And he goes running, running, and he jumps head first right back into the hole. It's hilarious. And what does the shepherd do? But well, he goes back and he pulls him out of the hole again. And does not God do that for us? Every time we get ourselves in trouble, he's patiently just, bro, stop. <laughs> you know better, right? He gets us out again. But, but also, but also it's a, these tools are protecting. David knew all too well what it was like to be a shepherd and have a lion or a bear or a wolf or something come try to eat his sheep. And he's got a staff to beat back a bear with. Now, if I'm David, I need like an AK-47. But he was a, he's more of a man than me. And so he's got a stick that he's fighting off lions and bears with because they're not going to get the sheep. He risks his life with his staff to protect his sheep. Does not God, our shepherd, protect us from evil? So that we can face each and every day, no matter how scary the valley is, no matter how scary the unknown of that future is, That God has tools to keep us safe because he loves his sheep. And no matter how stupid, how self-destructive we can be, God patiently shepherds and protects us. We worry about fears we can see. And sometimes we worry about fears that we can imagine. But think of how many things God has protected you from that you never knew were coming for you. And that he stopped them and kept you from them long before they got in your sight or imagination. I think about that old Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayers. Sometimes we get mad at God when he doesn't answer our prayers. Because we think we know what's best for us or what we want. But if we could see history from God's perspective, we like Garth Brooks would thank God for unanswered prayers. Protecting us from danger, even from ourselves. So we can live without fear. We can face the valley of the shadow of death and not fear evil because he's with us. But you're with me. And he's got the tools, the to rod and the staff. He's got shepherds' tools to keep us safe. And that can take on all, I can look at all different kinds of ways. But he's not only providing for us, but he's protecting us. All right, number three. The presence of the shepherd restores our souls. The presence of the shepherd restores our souls. He provides, He protects, and He gives us His presence. Now, we've got to understand this. So, what is He saying when He says, He restores my soul? What does that mean? So, He's, he's, he's leading us to the green pastures, He's leading us by the still waters. And how is he, those are external, those are, those are physical things, but the soul's is an internal thing. So how, he's, he's taking care of our, our outer life, our physical life. Now how is he restoring our inner life? what well, has got to be connected to the second idea, right? That he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, how does the Lord primarily lead us? So this is what you've got to do when you're, when you're wrestling through this, when you're reading this. This is kind of how you've how you got to work. How does he lead us? he doesn't lead us through audible commands, right? None of us are getting, uh, you know, words from God. He's not given us signs and wonders. He's not giving us visions, right? That's probably not happened to you. But how does he lead us? Through his word. Where is his presence found? Through the Holy Spirit living inside of us, magnified through his word. So it is his word, David and the Psalms will write much about throughout the Psalms that restores his soul. It is his word. As we saw last week in Psalm 1, it is through meditation and study and memorization and understanding, mental understanding of God through his word that restores and heals our inner person. Now the world has innumerable ways that they would say that you can find healing for your inner self. Power and healing for your inner self. They would say, you know, the power of positive thinking. Wake up and think positive thoughts. Follow the right habits. Practice self-care. The list goes on and on. But these things do not heal your inner fear. They don't heal your pain and worry and hurt. But the Word of God, the Word of God that leads us in passive righteousness restores our soul. It is like a a balm. Heals our soul. Because when you read the word of God, you find his promises. You read about his goodness. You read about this unfolding story of redemption and your place in it. You read truths about a, your adoption into his family, about his forgiveness towards you, about his patience and long-suffering towards you, his protection, his provision, his love, his presence. And when you read about all of these things, they are healing to you. Heal our souls. The presence of God comes to us through the Holy Spirit living inside of us, made magnified through the study of his word. The Spirit of God does one thing. He points us to Jesus. And when we read about Jesus in his word, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's presence magnifies in us. And we find peace and healing for our inner self. All right, four. The shepherd gives us purpose. The shepherd gives us purpose. So what does he say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me of the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What is this path? What is this path of righteousness right here? The Hebrew communicates that it is the Lord's wagon tracks. The literal translation. It's the path the Lord has already taken his wagon down. And now the shepherd is leading us down the path of the Lord. This tried and true path. What this is not communicating is that we've got to be perfect. That we've got to be perfect for his name's sake, But that our lives should follow the Lord and his ways. That our holiness should strive to match his holiness. That our character and our virtue should match his character and his virtue. That our love should match his love. That our forgiveness should match his forgiveness. That our, our striving, we should be striving down the path to look and act and model our lives after our shepherd, after the Lord. But why is it the Lord is leading us down this path? Why is it that he leads us down this path of righteousness? Well, I think we would certainly say... That he leads us down there because this path leads to ultimate and our greatest joy and satisfaction. It leads to our greatest fulfillment. The Lord's path is the one and only path that makes sense in a world gone crazy. And it is the path that leads to the abundant life. That is absolutely true. But that is not the reason given here in this text. Those are secondary reasons. They're good reasons. Follow the Lord because that is true joy. But those are secondary. The primary reason for the Lord, from his perspective, he leads us down these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his, for his name's sake. For the sake of his name that he leads us down these paths of righteousness. What does that mean? When God's people, who are called by his name, act a fool. Act contrary to to his character and his ways. When God's people do not model who God is, who does that reflect on? It reflects on God. It reflects on his name. see, when we act, who are called by his name and known as his people, act contrary to his character and his ways, it is his name that is denigrated. And the world thinks less of God, for right or wrong, but the world thinks less of God because us have, as Christians have communicated something that's untrue about God and we have denigrated his name. You see, when you are quick tempered, you communicate something untrue about God, whether you mean to or not. When you are slow to forgive those who have wronged you, you are communicating something untrue about God, whether you mean to or not. When you slander and attack your enemies, you communicate something untrue about God, whether you intend to or not. When you lie, when you gossip, when you envy, when you lust, when you steal, whatever vice you give into, you are communicating something untrue about God to a watching world. And when you communicate something untrue about God through your life, through your actions, through your words, you are belittling and damaging and smearing God's name and reputation in the world. And so the primary reason God does everything that he does, from leading us to live a righteous life, to sending his son to die for us, to forgive us of our sins, every action he does is motivated, first and foremost, by his own glory, his own fame, and for the sake of his name and reputation. Anything less, anything less selfish than that would be idolatry for God. If he is not first and foremost about his own glory, his own namesake, then he would be first and foremost for something less than him. Anything less than him is idolatry, so he must be for that. The first question of the Westminster Catechism asks a really, really important question. It asks, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we glorify God? Certainly there are many ways to glorify God. But most simply put, we glorify God by following him and the paths of righteousness that he has laid out before us. That is, that is what it means to be a disciple. When, When Jesus was calling the 12 and all these disciples around him, that was not a new uncommon thing in the world. That was something people did all the time. They found a rabbi, they found a teacher, they found a tradesman that they wanted to, to, to emulate and so they would follow them everywhere, learn everything they said, see everything that they did, learn everything that they knew and so that they could in turn go and do it themselves. And modeled their life after Jesus. And that is what it, that's what it means for us to be a disciple. It means to model everything in our life after Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, what he believed and to repeat it and to live it and to model it for the glory of God for his namesake. So when we follow these paths of righteousness right here we do it for the sake of his name for his reputation in the world so that his glory may continue to go out in all the world and that people would look at God and know who he is because they've seen us. We're in the image of God. And we reflect who he is. We're like the moon Who reflect the sun. We're reflecting who God is to the world. And when we fall short of that, the world thinks less of God because of our failures. That's part of our purpose. That's that's the purpose laid out in this text. To follow Jesus' path, to live like him, and to find ultimate joy in following his ways. Point five, the shepherd keeps his promises. Our shepherd provides our physical needs. He provides protection. He gives us his presence and restores our soul. He, He gives us a purpose that we can follow him and live for his glory. And finally, he keeps his promises. Specifically, his promise to be such a shepherd to us. The New Testament, some hundreds and hundreds of years later, records Jesus using this same metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep. But that, he was the shepherd of God's people. And, not, and he was not just any shepherd of God's people. He called himself in John chapter 10, the good shepherd. The good shepherd who knows his sheep by name. And when one is lost, he goes and he finds the one who is lost and he brings it home. He's the one who's the sheep, they know his voice. And so he doesn't always have to hit him with the rod. He can say, y'all come on. All right, I know that voice. Let's go. And they listen to him because they trust him. Jesus, in Psalm 23, is the Lord. That's, that's Jesus right there. He is the Lord. He is the shepherd of the sheep who provides and protects and gives his presence, gives us purpose. Jesus is the shepherd. But we know something about the Lord who is our shepherd that David did not know. We know something that David, when he wrote this, did not know. That not only does this shepherd protect us and provide for us and give us his presence and purpose, but this shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He doesn't just risk his life fighting off some predators, he doesn't just fight off uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. He willingly gives his life for a sheep. You see, Jesus knew that our greatest predator wasn't a lion or a tiger or a bear. Our greatest predator wasn't cancer. It wasn't poverty. Our greatest predator was Satan, sin, and death. And he knew that there was no rod or no staff that could fend off such a formidable foe. But he knew that the life of a perfectly righteous lamb could turn back death itself and would remove Satan's weapons to hurt us. And would remove the, the valley of the shadow of death from the equation. Could forgive our sins and make us right with God. And so what does he do? The good shepherd becomes a lamb. The good shepherd becomes one of the sheep. The good shepherd becomes a lamb and he gives his life so that the sheep might live and prosper and lie down where it is safe and sound and a land where all is right again. Our good shepherd gives his life to save ours so that he might bring us back into the Garden of Eden where there are no more tears, where there are no more fears, where there are no worries and no pains and where, the, where everything is truly right in the world again. And we are finally and forever safe, full, and always happy. For the pastures are green and the water is still. And the enemies are gone. And we can lie down, rest. The Lord Jesus is our good shepherd. And if he is, he's our good shepherd. If he's your good shepherd, you will never want for anything. You'll never be deprived of anything that you need. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will give you his presence and restore your soul, and he gives us purpose, and he always keeps his promises. He is the good shepherd, he gives his life to the sheep. Pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful, we're thankful that you're not just deity, that you're not just God, that you're not just Lord, that you're a shepherd. You're a shepherd who doesn't leave us, but whose presence is always among us. You don't leave us to fend for ourselves and we (laughs) run off a cliff. You don't leave us to fend for ourselves and we ruin ourselves, but you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We're thankful that you're the kind of God who shepherds us to where, leads us to where there is provision. And you take care of our needs. Sometimes you raise up friends Sometimes you raise up family members. Sometimes you raise up churches to make sure we are always provided for. You protect us. You protect us from things in this world, but you also protect us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. Give us your presence. You've you've spoken to us from on high. You've come near to us that we might be healed internally. souls might be restored, made right with you. Given us purpose, given us someone to follow, you've given us a a plan, a path to walk. You've kept your promises to us. God, you are a good shepherd. If there are someone in here this morning who is just struggling and is struggling to trust the shepherd to lead them and shepherd them well, and you need to pray this morning, God has given this church under shepherds, to pray and to be there for you. So if you're here this morning you need to pray, I would love to pray for you to hug your neck, to help. That's why we're here. You're here this morning and these truths are not true of you because Jesus is not your shepherd. You're your own shepherd doing your own thing, your own sheep running off. And you hear the voice of Jesus calling you to this good land, to this Eden, to this promised land, to this new family. Come up this morning and let me talk with you about how you can follow Jesus. How he will bring you home safe and sound and protect you for all the days of your life. God, give us the strength to do what we need to do. In Christ's name we pray. All people said, stand and sing together.